0: Chapters thirteen and fourteen of the Curved Blades by Caroline Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen Bates, the burglar, brought before the magistrate, Bates told a coherent though amazing story. It seems he was Estelle's lover and had long ago persuaded her to let him know when Miss Carrington had a quantity of jewelry in the house that he might essay a robbery. The plan was simple estelle had promised to slip downstairs at three o'clock and raise a window for his entrance and later but before any one else was about she was to slip down and lock it again in the meantime they assumed the burglary would be quietly accomplished their supposition being that miss carrington would be asleep in her bedroom and the boudoir easy of access you entered by the window then at what time asked stone who was doing most of the questioning at quarter of four in the morning replied bates and all noted that this was shortly before the hour when mrs frothingham saw through her field glass a man leaving by the same window you went directly up the stairs yes estelle had often told me the lay of the rooms and i went straight to the lady's boudoir you carried with you a blackjack did you have murder in your heart that i did not i took that thinking if the lady woke up and screamed i'd just give her a tap that would put her to sleep without hurting her at all at all i'm no murderer sir and i'm confessing my attempt at burglary and-and assault so i won't be accused of a greater crime that's right bates it'll be better for you to be perfectly truthful now what did you see when you entered the room i had stepped inside and shut the door before i saw anything and then i turned to see the lady's face but in the mirror i was behind her and in the glass i saw her smiling face and of course i thought she was alive and that she saw me i knew she'd scream in a minute and the sight of all the jewels gleaming on her neck drove me fair crazy with greed i suppose and i up with my sandbag and hit her head not meanin' to hit hard enough to kill her, but only to knock her unconscious like. And then The blow smashed the big comb she was wearin', but she didn't move nor fall over. She was leanin' back in her big chair and she just sat there and kept on smilin'. My knees shook like the ague, for I thought it was magic, or that my eyes was deceivin' me there was no sound anywhere and i stood staring at that smiling face and she staring back at me i nearly screamed out myself but i bucked up and thinking that she was struck unconscious so quick her face didn't change i made to take off some jewels i was after i touched her neck and it was cold the lady was dead had been dead some time i was sure cause she was so cold and stiff i trembled all over but my only thought then was to get out not for a million dollars would i touch them sparklers there ain't often a burglar who is ghoul enough to rob a corpse leastways i'm not i wouldn't i wouldn't i'm a tough and a bad egg generally but i wouldn't steal from no corpse not i so you left the house at once that i did as fast as my trembling legs could get me downstairs i was clean daft i couldn't make it out and i didn't try i thought it was the devil's own work somehow but how i didn't know my mind was full making my escape i ran like the old boy was after me and reaching home i hid under the bedclothes and groaned all night full a week went by and i've begun to breathe easy thinkin i'd never be suspected of a hand in it when up comes this gentleman and says i done it well i've told the truth now and i'm relieved to get it off my chest bates heaved a deep sigh as of a man eased of a great burden his whole story bore the stamp of truth and his manner of telling was straightforward and earnest nor was there reason for doubt though a startling tale it entirely explained many of the strange conditions that had seemed so bewildering it would never have occurred to bates nor to any one to make up such a yarn and what else could have deterred him from the contemplated robbery but the superstition that makes even the most hardened criminals refuse to steal from a dead person therefore the narrative was accepted as probably true and bates was taken to the tombs to await further proceedings against him you're a wonder said grey haviland as that same afternoon he discussed the matter with fleming stone would you mind telling me how you went straight to the criminal and walked him off to jail that was practically a bit of luck and stone smiled it was the blackjack that gave me the clue if the fellow hadn't dropped that in his fright we might never have traced him though we would perhaps have found him eventually through the maid estelle she is not good at keeping things secret however he did drop the weapon and it led straight to him but how well the thing smelled strongly of creosote now it was made from a bit of old cloth that looked like a piece of some discarded garment a man's coat say if the odor had been camphor or mothballs, i should have assumed a garment laid away in storage but creosote is not used for that purpose so i deduced a house recently remodeled by use of a certain kind of shingles i know that the odor of those shingles clings to everything in the house for months it is almost ineradicable so i looked about for a house lately reshingled why not a new house asked hardy who was present a point well taken said stone nodding approval but in a new house the odor often is dispelled before the people move in in a remodelled house the furnishings stay there during the work and so are deeply impregnated with that unmistakable smell of creosote at any rate i worked on that and when i found that a new shingled old house was a boarding-house of the type bates would be likely to live in i went there to see and found him yes but how did you know there was such a person as bates where did you get his name from your cook returned stone simply i concluded there was no doubt that estelle had let the man in and relocked the window afterward so i deduced a friend of the girl's so dear to her that she would do this for him i asked the cook mrs haskins as to estelle's admirers and learned that there were two bates and higgins mrs haskins couldn't say which one estelle more favored so i decided to try both bates the cook told me lived in a boarding-house near here and higgins over in new york So when I asked Estelle a few leading questions, I pretended to greater knowledge than I really had. I spoke of a name beginning with either B, H, or S. She fell into the trap and said quickly that she knew no one initialed S. Then I said, but beginning with, and waited. She said no name, but involuntarily her lips form a silent B, and I knew she had Bates in mind. The rest was easy bates the boarding-house and the shingles formed a combination too indicative to be merely coincidence and so we found him and i for one believe his story i know the strong superstition that imbues those people concerning a corpse and the unexpected discovery that he had attacked one was enough to make that man beside himself indeed it's a wonder that he didn't himself make an outcry in his terror and fright i have heard of your prowess in these matters said haviland but i didn't look for such quick work as this why you hadn't even interviewed estelle when you came to your conclusions about bates no but remember i have seen a full account of all the evidence not only at the inquest but all that has been gathered by the police and by mr hardy here last night i read all this carefully and it was enlightening on these points that led up to today's work but now i don't mind telling you mr haviland that a much more difficult and complicated problem faces us to discover who gave to miss carrington the poison that killed her have you any suspicions and gray looked the detective straight in the eyes i have not as yet and fleming stone returned the steady gaze have you gray haviland hesitated then he said i would rather not answer that question mr stone if i should have suspicions and they should be unjust or ill-founded is it not better to leave them unmentioned even to you you are here to discover the criminal i cannot think my suspicions if i have any could help you but they might easily hinder you by wrong suggestion very well mr haviland just as you please but i assume you will tell me frankly anything you may know or learn in the way of direct evidence bearing on the matter that certainly but though haviland's words were a definite promise his tone and manner seemed hesitant and a trifle vague am i to have the privilege of working with you mr stone inquired hardy his heart beating tumultuously lest he receive a negative answer if you care to and if you are willing to work in my way i am somewhat impatient of interference or questioning but if you want to assist in investigating under my absolute orders i shall be glad to have you do so nothing was further from hardy's mind than to interfere or to show any undue curiosity concerning the work or methods of the great detective he was more than content to watch silently to run errands and to make himself useful in any way desired by his superior he said this and stone nodded indulgently i shall begin with this matter of the arrest of count charlier said stone as he looked over his notebook. either that man is the guilty party or he is not if not he must be released if so it must be proven what do you know of his history mr haviland very little mr stone in the first place i doubt his right to the title he assumes you do and why haviland looked a little embarrassed i'm not sure i know why but he doesn't act like a real count yes and how do real counts act i mean in ways that differ from this man's habits you're having fun with me mr stone and gray blushed like a schoolboy but i mean it it's this way i'm not a count but if i wanted to pretend i was i'd act just as count chalier does there good that's definite at least now make it a little more so by describing some of these actions well and haviland's brow wrinkled well to begin with his manners are too slick and polished a traditional trait of Frenchmen, yes if real but his seem artificially purposely oh fakely polished have you seen him mr stone no not yet when you do you'll see what i mean he has shifty eyes and he rubs his hands together and if he's standing he half bows with every sentence he utters and he smirks instead of smiling and his whole attitude is a fifty-fifty of apology and bumptiousness bravo you've given a graphic picture of him at all events i'll reserve further consideration of his personality until i have seen him you believe implicitly all that story of bates do you mr stone and haviland looked dubiously at the detective yes i do at present if anything turns up to disprove any part of it i may have to revise my ideas but just now it seems to me that bates told the simple truth to be sure he only told it because he feared an accusation of murder and he knew that to confess to the lesser crime would go far to help him deny the greater you may be right but might there not be collusion between Friend count and bates collusion just that and gray shook his head doggedly i've a vague idea that frenchy is mixed up in this thing somehow now he couldn't possibly have administered the poison himself personally nor could he have struck the blow personally but couldn't he have hired the man Bates to do it for him? On the face of things, Mister Haviland, does that look plausible? Is the count, as you describe him, a man who would engage a burglar of the Bates type to commit a brutal crime? Again, if Bates were merely the count's tool, would he not, when caught, pass the blame on to his employer? He sure would. You are right, Mister Stone. Those two never hooked up together. It's out of the question. But as Estelle and Bates are in cahoots why didn't she give miss carrington the poison herself well she did fix the bromide hoping to make her mistress sleep soundly but the lady never took it now if the maid had given or expected to give the poison why the bromide at all but look here broke in hardy mightn't it be that estelle did do the poisoning and arrange the bromide as a blind to put us off the track exactly as it has done There's small use in speculating about that poison said stone thoughtfully we must go at that systematically we must find out where it was bought and by whom people can't go round buying deadly poison without a record being made of the sale we must inquire of druggists until we find out these facts there's no druggist about here who would sell aconitin said hardy it doubtless was bought in new york that of course adds to the difficulty of tracing the sale but it must be done "'Mr. Hardy, I will ask you to do all you can to find out about that.' "'You want to look up a French apothecary?' advised Haviland. "'That count is at the bottom of this, as sure as shootin', "'and he's full clever enough to hide his tracks mighty closely. "'Why, that man is a fortune-hunter and an adventurer, "'and he wanted that ten thousand dollars, and he poisoned Miss Lucy to get it. "'That's what he did. "'And he was on deck that night, after the jewels. "'That's where he was.' it was he in that room talking it was he who left his glove there of course he didn't know it and now you've got him under lock and key i hope you'll keep him there and not let this bates discovery get him the slip if the two were not working together then surely they are incriminated separately and you want to look into the case of little old mr count you may be right mr haviland and Flemingstone smiled at him but i think you are assuming a lot because of your prejudice against the frenchman was he very attentive to miss carrington had he proposed marriage to her that we don't know of course we all had been afraid he would why afraid oh we didn't want my cousin to marry an adventurer of course he only wanted her fortune and as her business manager i had a right to interfere or at least to look after her interests enough to prevent that but was she not a capable woman who could be supposed to know her own mind ordinarily yes but there's no use mincing matters miss carrington greatly desired to marry however she paid no attention to men whom she did not consider interesting there were several such and she sent them packing the count though she took to at once partly because of his title and partly because-well he has a way with him he flattered her and she took the bait like a hungry fish Fourteen who gave the poison though fleming stone's acumen and quick perception had led to a swift apprehension of bates his next steps were not taken so rapidly he spent much time in the boudoir of miss carrington as if striving to make the walls tell what their traditional ears had heard the upset breakfast tray had been removed but nothing else disturbed estelle had owned up after bates arrest that she did drop the tray in her fright at the sight of the dead lady and that she afterward denied it lest she be suspected of wrongdoing. the plate that had contained sandwiches was still on the bedside table but the glass of milk with bromide in had been carried away stone looked at the empty plate and wondered had the poison been placed in the sandwiches by estelle by anybody else who had had the opportunity estelle had brought the sandwiches and milk to the bedroom according to her usual custom when she prepared the bed for the night a tiny serviette had been over the sandwiches and was still there beside the plate stone looked at it a mere wisp of fine linen with a monogrammed corner the few wrinkles in it showed clearly to stone's sharp eyes the dainty touch of fingers that had held the caviar sandwich it undoubtedly denoted that miss carrington had eaten the sandwich had any one merely removed it, the napkin would have been uncreased. He had been told that she rarely ate this night luncheon, though it was always placed for her. Why had she partaken of it on that particular night? Had some one advised her to go or urged it? Had the Count really visited her in the boudoir and, having previously arranged the poisoned sandwich, made sure that it would perform its deadly mission? Could he have entered the room unknown to the rest of the household? Stone went to the window yes that matter was easy enough a balcony outside the long french window was connected with the lower veranda by a spiral staircase any one could run up the steps and be admitted to the boudoir in perfect secrecy stone wondered for a moment why bates hadn't entered that way and quickly realized that for a marauder to appear at the window would have frightened miss carrington and caused an outcry the entrance of the count however whether expected or not would be easily effected if the count were really guilty the circumstances were all explicable suppose miss carrington had made the appointment would she not in her vanity have donned the beautiful boudoir gown and the jewels to appear attractive in his eyes and supposing she had playfully caught his glove as he removed it and had half unconsciously continued to hold it then the conversation alleged to have been overheard by miss frayne would have been addressed to him and the remarks would be at least intelligible the snake ah yes the snake as to that there was no hint no clue of any sort but then the thing was so inexplicable that the explanation must be easy a clue so strange so bizarre must lead somewhere that could be left to the future now he must decide on his first steps the decision took him to call on dr stanton and the physician welcomed him warmly glad to see you mr stone he said sit down sir sit down i've been wanting a talk with you ever since i heard of your arrival so you ferreted out the burglar already great work great work indeed and now for the real murderer you see sir i'm up to the minute in my information regarding this case glad to know it returned stone now dr stanton i hope you can help me i don't mind admitting the thing has its baffling aspects the burglar was easily traced and easily disposed of the real work as you say is just beginning will you sir tell me all you know of the poison that killed miss carrington surely mr stone the autopsy showed a fatal dose of aconitin aconite as you know of course is the herb wolfsbane of the hellebore tribe all the species of which are poisonous aconitin is an intensely poisonous alkaloid obtained from aconite taken in a moderate quantity it acts as a powerful sedative but the dose absorbed by miss carrington was undoubtedly fatal within half or three-quarters of an hour and she died at what time about two o'clock proving she took the poison at about quarter or half after one yes thereabouts it is not possible to fix these hours precisely but the poison was administered positively between one and two administered you do not think then that she took it herself most certainly not miss carrington had been in my care professionally for many years i knew her very well and i know nobody more opposed to medicine in any form or drugs of any sort it was a most difficult task to persuade her to take even the simplest remedy and then she had to be assured over and over again that it was harmless no mr stone nothing could have made her take that dose of her own accord nor could anyone have persuaded her to take it consciously it was without doubt given to her secretly by the clever ruse of the murderer of course it could not have been an accident the marvellous part is to my mind how any secured the poison it is not an easy matter to buy a conitin then that ought to make it easier to trace if the public could easily procure it at will there would be greater difficulty in running down the purchaser that is so and yet i think your search will be a hard one how shall you go about it by canvassing the drug shops of the city and of the small towns as well it may be you can trace the sale but if it was bought under the promise of secrecy and if that secrecy were well paid for true there is the difficulty but what's a detective for if not to find out secrets quite right may your quest succeed and now a little more about the action of this poison what are the immediate effects of a fatal dose in a few moments there occurs a tingling numbness of lip and tongue and pharynx the numbness increases and affects all the muscles and death ensues inside of an hour this paralyzing effect renders it impossible for the victim to cry out and there are no convulsions the body remains calm and undisturbed and the eyes open a dilatation of the pupil takes place but the expression on the face remains as in life this is why miss carrington continued to look happy and smiling and proves that when she took the poison she was happy and smiling and therefore in no way terrorized or frightened into it exactly so and that indicates that she didn't know she was taking it or that it was administered by someone she knew and loved and had all confidence in it would seem so and dr stanton's fine old face showed a sad apprehension how was it taken in what medium that we can't tell to a certainty there were traces of the sandwiches discovered at the autopsy but though the poison could have been given her concealed in a sandwich filling it is improbable why because the white granules or powder which are soluble in water would be more easily discerned in solid food but on the other hand it could be unostentatiously placed in a sandwich with little fear of detection but to prevail on her to swallow a solution it is bitter is it not yes slightly so i admit i cannot imagine any one inducing miss carrington to swallow such a draught therefore it may well be it was placed in a sandwich the filling they tell me was caviar, which would disguise the bitterness and does not all this if true point to some one exceedingly familiar with all the details of miss carrington's affairs some one who knew of her nightly sandwich and also does it not imply the presence of someone who could and did ensure her consumption of that sandwich it would indeed seem so mr stone but when it comes to discussing such a question as that i must ask to be allowed to retire from the field it is my duty to tell all i know from my medical experience but further than that i am not obliged to express any opinions or voice any suspicions you know however that count charlier is held pending investigation yes i know it i have no opinion to express fleming stone rather admired this gentleman of the old school whose courtesy was evident but equally so his determination to say only what justice demanded of his profession and then like a flash the reason came to him dr stanton suspected or at least feared to suspect some member of the carrington household of course this was not a new idea to fleming stone he had mentally gone over the possibility of every one in the family and all of the servants at garden steps but so far he had held his mind open for impressions rather than to formulate theories himself then to sum up doctor he said as he rose to go you assure me that you consider it out of the question that miss carrington took the aconitin herself say as a headache cure or something intending only a small curative dose absolutely impossible sir exclaimed the old gentleman almost angrily to begin with miss carrington never had headaches and if she had she would have borne any amount of suffering from them before she would have touched a drug or medical remedy of any sort and aside from all that how could she get a it is not to be bought for the asking at any druggist's no sir my conscience makes me insist on that point miss carrington never took that poison knowingly either by accident or design it was given to her without her knowledge by a very very clever villain again then it could have been given her innocently by mistake i mean if some one her maid or any friend had wanted to give her a sedative and meant only a light dose but by error in quantity no sir not a chance the amount given was too great to be an error and every one in that house knows better than ever to have attempted to give medicine in any form or degree or for any purpose to miss lucy carrington it was crime then said fleming stone black crime and as such it must be discovered and punished yes agreed dr stanton but he spoke with deep sadness as one who feared where and toward whom such discoveries might lead from the doctor's house stone went to see the count the elegant gentleman was highly irate at being detained against his will in such plain quarters as the tombs furnished but he was not as belligerent or vindictive as stone expected to find him hasty work on the part of the detectives from the district attorney's office had resulted in his imprisonment but the later development of bates share in the matter made it extremely probable that the count might soon be released from custody pleasantly enough the two men conversed and count charlier gave the impression of one glad of help from an outside source It is such an absurdity, he declared, to think that I would in any way wish to harm the lady. Why, I admired her above all, and it was my hope that she would do me the honour to accept my hand. Honestly, Count Charlier? And Stone looked at him with a man-to-man glance that caused the Count to hesitate in his protestations. Well, I was considering the matter in my own mind. You know, Mr. Stone, it is a great responsibility, this seeking a wife and miss carrington was not uh, not in her first youth of a fact her years outnumbered my own so i asked myself was it wise was it altogether just to the lady to never mind all that count said stone a little impatiently just give me a few details of that evening so far as your actions were concerned you were at the house till midnight yes mr Isley and i left together we had spent the evening there at cards and music you had had any private conversation with miss carrington during the evening yes we walked alone in the conservatory for a time you proposed marriage not exactly that but i may have hinted at such an event and the lady seemed agreeable entirely so if i may say it she met my advances half-way and i could not misunderstand her feeling toward my unworthy self she spoke to you of money matters of her will yes to my surprise she told me she had bequeathed to me ten thousand dollars was not this a strange bequest to a casual acquaintance oh we were more than casual acquaintances i have known miss carrington for two or three months which two or three perhaps nearer two and the count showed a slight embarrassment do your friends often leave you large sums of money on such short acquaintance it has never happened before and now the count's dignity was touched and he spoke shortly and coolly then of course it struck you as peculiar and stone's smile assumed an acquiescence but the count returned not at all miss carrington was an unusual woman and i never expected her behaviour to be entirely conventional when she told me of this i was simply and honestly grateful as i should have been to any one who showed me such a kindness you were glad to get the money then yes indeed the count exclaimed with sparkling eyes then realizing his slip he hastily added that is i was glad of the knowledge that it would come to me some day surely i did not want the lady to die that i might receive it but i was pleased to know she thought enough of me to make the direction what did she mean by saying to morrow all will be different? That I do not know. Could she have meant? She did say it then. You admit she said it to you. Breathlessly, Fleming Stone waited the answer. Miss Carrington had said this to the person who was with her behind her closed door at one o'clock. Could the Count be going to incriminate himself? Not to me only. She said it to all who were present. It was while we were playing bridge she said it again to the man who killed her of that i know nothing said count charlier politely bother said fleming stone inaudibly end of chapters thirteen and fourteen